Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10, we'll be looking at one verse today. Verse 13. Let's pray. Father, as always, when we come to this part of our worship where we open your word, and our desire is to look and to read, to meditate, to think deeply about those things that you have communicated to us, those things that you have preserved for us through hundreds of years. We ask, Lord, that you would communicate these truths to us. We pray you would help us to think about them. To not only think about them now, but to think about them beginning today, throughout the week, and perhaps throughout the month. We pray that you would use these things to transform us, Father, to continue to make us into the image of your Son, Christ. The Father, our minds and the way that we think and what we think would be very deeply affected. The Father, we would become much more conscious, much more aware of your presence, of your presence in our life, of your demands, of how it is that you expect us to live, but also, Lord, of your love and your kindness and your grace in our life. And so, Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your word. And thank you, Father, again for this time. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There's a couple of verses in the Bible that I believe that we as believers should strive to commit to memory. Uh, I don't really push that a lot. I'm not trying to make people feel guilty because they can't memorize 10 verses, 20 verses, 30 verses. But I do think that there are certain verses that are important because of the kind of impact they are to have and can have on our lives as individuals. And this is one of those verses. One of those verses that speaks to us in so many ways and is really of great importance. And I'm hoping and trusting that you will see that by the time that we're finished today, really unpacking this verse and all that is here. This is a verse which does speak very clearly to God's active sovereignty in your life and in my life. This idea that the world has, the idea that some, those, some of those who call themselves Christians have, that God is that he exists and that he's somehow kind of disinterested in our day-to-day -day living. That God is, not that God is really distracted, but that God either has better things to do or that he's just not involved in small, what people view as smaller things. This verse, I believe, kind of blows that out of the water. That when it comes to each one of us as individuals, Paul is writing to this church and what he says here is applicable to the church, but it is really more applicable to each and every single member of the church. This is what's applicable to each and every single Christian. There is nothing about this verse that would make it untrue for any believer, then or today. This speaks very clearly, very dogmatically to God's interest and activity in your life, in every single aspect of your life. So we begin. He is dealing with temptation. Why is he dealing with temptation? 
Remember the context of this verse? He's been dealing with those five general areas that we talked about over the last several weeks about uh, the difficulties that, that these believers are having. And, and Paul used uh, examples from the Old Testament to help them understand these things much better, to understand how God views these things. And then also uh, going back to this idea that God desires you and I uh, to be his instruments in the world. He desires to use us in the lives of other people to influence them in a very positive way. The influence that God desires you and I to have in the lives of other people is not just to motivate them to be better people. That's a good thing. and We should do that. But it's not limited to that. It's never limited to that. The idea is that you and I are going to be able to influence them at the deepest level. That we're going to influence them spiritually. It doesn't mean that if, if you live your life and you uh, may lead only very, what we would call very few people to Christ, does not mean that you are not heavily influencing people because you still may be. It's not necessarily measured in that way. It, it, it can be, but that can also be a phony way of measuring things. Remember, there may be many who uh, will, in it, to a degree, as the Bible says, kind of curse you and the message. And so your message is really revealed and sealed for them their damnation. Now you've had an influence in your life. But here more positively, the idea is that God wants to make sure, Paul wants to make sure that we recognize God's rule in our life so that we then do not disqualify ourselves from being used in the lives of others. And that was kind of the last thing that Paul had been talking about, this disqualification. So he talks about temptation. And so he says really categorically and dogmatically, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So again, those five things, whether it's desiring evil things, idolatry, immorality, testing the Lord, grumbling. And of course, we could add to the list, but those were the things that he was talking about. Paul wants them to know that none of them not one single individual is in any kind of a unique situation that places them in a special category where they have an excuse or justification to give in to temptation. He eliminates that right here from the beginning because that is often one of the first three or four things we're going to think or say when it comes to trying to justify what we've done. Many people do feel justified. An individual may feel justified at yelling at their spouse because the spouse slammed the door. So they feel justified. They believe that it's right. Or they, they may be thinking, well, that's the last straw. That, what that phrase is, you know, there's even a game. I, I knew you could buy this game when I was a kid. Of course, that was back when there were maybe a few dinosaurs on earth. But the idea was it was, it was I forget, I don't remember the name, but it was you had a plastic camel and you play straws in the basket. And basically the idea was, is eventually someone's going to put the last straw and the camel's back would break and you're the loser. And so the idea is, is that whenever we are thinking or saying, well, that's the last straw, what we're, what we're basically communicating is, I am a great patient martyr. I have put up with things that maybe no one else or very few people would put up with, but even I have my limits. And that's the last straw. Now, I can spend a lot of time just talking about that phrase and why it's a very non-Christian phrase, uh, but we're not going to get into all that. But that's kind of the idea. 
And so the idea then is that then when we blow up or we explode or we then tell the individual, that's it, I'm done with you, we believe we are justified in what we have done or said because we have gone beyond what either the ordinary person or most normal people would have we've had to endure. And so we, and we really do believe that. We really believe that we are justified to a degree uh, with, with, with whatever sin we've given into, whatever, whatever it is. And people will say this line, well, if you only knew, or if you only knew the half of it, you know, if you only knew what I've had to put up with, then you would understand. And that excuse is used whether someone is using drugs or drinking alcohol or divorcing their wife or divorcing their husband or whatever it happens to be. The, what, that's what those phrases are communicating. So what God is telling you and I here is none of that is true. You may feel that way. We're not denying that you may feel that way. But the reality of the situation is God himself is so involved in your life that he will not allow you as an individual to be in a situation that is going to place you in a position where your temptation is not something that what? Everyone experiences. That's the first thing. So he wants us to make sure that, that when it comes to temptation and sin and all those things, that we're all experiencing, in a sense or to a degree, the same kind of thing. But he goes on. And the next three words are really very important. God is faithful. All the truths in this verse are based on those three words. The, the truthfulness the perpetual truthfulness of this verse in your life is based on the character of God. God is faithful. You and I aren't faithful. Other people aren't faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful to his word. God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to himself. Therefore, God is also faithful to us. When I say faithful to us, that doesn't mean that God is going to be on your side and turns a blind eye to your sin. Boy, that means that God is faithful to you in ensuring that his promises to you will be fulfilled. And so the statement here that he's made is based on the fact that God is faithful. And so as you read through the scripture, we have example after example of God being faithful to the children of Israel. God being faithful to his servants. Many of us may have stories we can tell how God has been faithful, how God has provided. And when we share together as a church where God has answered prayer and provided for individuals, what we're doing is reminding each other that God is what? God is faithful. So there can never be a situation where the truths in this verse are not true. Now, this is really very important. This, I believe, should shatter the paradigms that most of us have, the way most of us view life and live life, and, and make it really very biblical. The idea here really is, is that this is to be... Uh, a foundational truth for us when it comes to our lives. To be, a, to be a truly biblical Christian means that we formulate our ideas, our understanding of the world and of ourselves on the text of Scripture. Now, we want to make sure that we understand the Scripture very well. We want to make sure that we have a good, broad understanding of the application of Scripture. But we are to move away from... And the, the time we live in is basically a very psychological age, and, but that's kind of been around for a long time, no matter what you call it. But other philosophies of understanding life and looking at life, we have to move away from those and base everything on what the scripture says. This is the truth, period. So God is faithful, is what all this is based on. And then he says, and he, referring to God, 
So now we're going to get into this action, this, 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 this sovereign action of God in your life as an individual. And he will not let you be tempted. So God is guaranteeing that there's something that he will not allow to happen in your life. God will allow you to die. We know that. Until the Lord comes, we're all going to experience death. God will allow you and I to get diseases. We just know that from experience and we know that from the scripture. We know that God will allow bad things to happen to, to you and to others. Again, we have examples in the scripture. We know that from what the scripture says. There's very few things in the Bible where God says he will not allow certain things to happen. But here, he is so involved in your life, he's, he's, he is guaranteeing, based on his faithfulness, that he is not going to let something happen. And it's still in the, in the realm of temptation. And he says he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And, and what that means there is that he is guaranteeing that, he will, that you will not be tempted, that the power of the temptation, the strength of the temptation, will never be such that you have to give in. Now, you may feel like you have to give in. You may, you may feel like you can't take anymore, but that is categorically untrue. Because if it is untrue, then God is unfaithful. That's, that's what's at stake here. The moment we say or we believe because normally we won't say this but the moment we believe that we've given into any kind of temptation because we were either too weak or whatever the list of excuses may be you are basically proclaiming that god is unfaithful that's very that i that's very serious i try to make sure that in my life you know we all sin i do my darndest to make sure that I never, ever, 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 ever give an excuse for my sin. Now, I want to, and I want to blame other people. Sometimes I don't care who it is. Yeah, I just want to share some of the blame. If I can get someone else to take 10%, then, because you know our thinking is, then I only have to face 90% of the discipline. Doesn't always work that way, but that's what we're thinking. You know, that's why brothers tell on brothers and sisters tell on brothers. You know, we, why do we do that? We want to share the blame because we're hoping to share the punishment. You know, it'd be a little less for me because big brother over here has got to take some of the blunt of, some of the brunt of it as well. But the idea, that, that's the idea behind this. So here, what God is saying is, is that he is guaranteeing God knows your limits and my limits. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about that. When, we, when you study temptation... There are certain general truths that we notice. Number one, often, that's not always, but often, when we give in the temptation, we're giving in the temptation because we're tired. Uh, maybe we're just physically tired. Maybe you've been working 70 hours a week for several weeks. And when we, when we feel physically tired, we are more vulnerable to temptation. But that will never be an excuse as to why we give in because God is guaranteeing that you will never be so tired you'll be tempted in a situation where you have to give in, where you're just, you're unable to resist. God's promising that. That's, that's incredible. Sometimes uh, we're susceptible to that because we're bored or because we are, maybe, maybe we've been physically sick or maybe we're just experiencing a real downtime because we've been betrayed by a close friend or close friends. Or maybe it's your spouse who's betrayed you. And so because of the emotional state that we're in, we're very vulnerable. 
to, to temptation. The, the devil knows that. He, he's been around human beings for 6,000 years. And so the temptations may feel even extra strong during those times, but God is promising that no matter what you are experiencing, his hand is there. And he will make sure that you are not tempted to the degree where you have to give in, because you don't. Now, I think you can already, already figure out the bad news. The bad news is this. Then there really is never anyone else to blame. I'm always 100% responsible for what I've done wrong. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be honest with you. I hate that. Now, I'm a little more accepting now that I'm in my 60s. <laughs> Life is hard. But the bottom line, when I was young, uh, uh, it's, it, it's, it's not me. That, that wasn't me. That was someone else or whatever the case may happen to be. Or Again, you don't understand. So again, this idea here is that God is active in your life, even right now. When you drive home, when you are home, at every moment of your day, God is there. He is with us. He is in us. And he's active in our life. And he's always working for us. And here in the area of temptation. So he's not promising here that you will never be tempted. That's not in here. We will be tempted. And we're given some information about that in the book of James. That when we are tempted, we are drawn away by our own lust or by our own heart. But God knows the strength of our heart. Because what should be happening is the longer we are believers, the more our heart becomes in tune with him, the more we change. There, there are fewer things that are tempting to us because we're growing stronger spiritually. I'm always dependent upon God. That never changes. But there, are, there should be fewer things to a degree that, that I'm tempted by. But there's never a promise and never an indication that, I would never, that, that I'm not going to be tempted. Just that there's a limit placed on the strength of that temptation. Uh, you know, I've dealt with, when I was working in the jail, I dealt with an enormous number of individuals uh, who uh, did drugs and, and people who were alcoholics. This was a very hard truth for the ones who became believers to swallow. Because, you know, they're taught by the world that when it comes to these drugs, that you can't help yourself. Now, I do believe that apart from God, that's true. For the non-believer, absolutely. But for the believer, it all, for the true believer, it all changes. And then so I remember talking to a young man once and I told him, I said, this was a, it was a first charge for him. Uh, he was going to be given probation. He was not going to do any prison time. Uh, I forget how much cocaine he had on him when he was arrested. But anyway, um, he had become a believer. And so he, he and I were discussing when he was going to be released soon. And what is often the case, because he's going back to the same neighborhood, he lives in the same house, and the same friends. And I said, you do know that, that uh, some, some of your friends are going to come around immediately. And there's going to be one or two, there's going to be some dealer out there who's, he's going to offer you some of this stuff for free. And, you know, they know how that works. The idea is, is, is to get you, you know, get you to use it. And then, you know, first one's on me, all the rest are on you. And so they want, to, they want to develop a customer again. And I said, but you need to understand something. You need to remind yourself of something. That if you truly can't resist the temptation that, of that first offer, it will never come. Because God is so involved in your life. 
But if it does come, know that God who knows you is basically making a declaration that with his help, you're able to resist. You may not want to, you may feel an incredibly strong, powerful urge, but it will never be able to truly overpower you because you're a Christian. He said, man, he said, I, he said, I got to think about that one. I said, well, this is not my opinion. This is what the word of God says. I said, now, if you go out there thinking that as a Christian on your own, you can do this. That's not what this is saying. But as you live a life in dependence upon him, it's, it's true. It's guaranteed. And I got a call. It's always good to get a call because that means I'm not seeing them again in jail. So I got a call from him. He said, you would not believe what happened. I said, I think I might, but go ahead. And I have no idea what he's about to tell me. He said, man, he said, I was out for two hours. And the guy I used to buy from was at my house and said he was so happy for me that I was out. And he wanted to give me a present. <laughs> he said, I knew what that present was. He said, and all I could think was, was that verse. And then he said, I pulled up my watch because he'd written on an index card. He had 1 Corinthians 10, 13 on an index card. And he pulled it and he said, I read it. He said, man, it was hard. He said, man, I was like, it was, I was salivating. And that's just all I could think of. He said, but I told him no. And he said, it became easier and easier and easier. And so you see the truth of God's word, it really does give us strength. This is not just, this is not a motivational speak so that, you know, you can be, oh, I, that was such a great message. I'm so encouraged. I can resist temptation. And you go out there and you're tempted to, you know, run somebody over and you don't do it. You go, man, I'm strong. And then four days later, you know, the, like how it happens with most motivational speeches, it kind of wanes and you're back to where you were before. This, there's very real strength in this. We're talking about God himself living in you, interacting with the word of God. And we are meditating on the word of God, remembering the word of God and incorporating it, making it a part of our thinking, making it a part of our life. So God's daily intervention in your life, which happens several times during the day, he is telling us that he, promising us that he will not let us, he will not let it happen. The most powerful being in the universe, the one who created man out of dust, the one who created the universe out of nothing, he is the one who's stating he will not let this happen. Then along with that, he says, but like on the other hand, with the temptation, so again, that temptation is coming, it's not if, it's when, he will also provide. So God is guaranteeing what won't happen, but then he's also guaranteeing that when temptation does come, he will provide the way of escape. That's what he says. He will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The idea of enduring it is you are enduring it to where you are, you are actively, successfully resisting it. You're not giving in. So here he promises the way of escape. Now the way of escape, that doesn't mean, because again, we have to make sure we grab this because there's too many individuals out there who are preaching the word of God and they just give the wrong impression. You know, the idea that God wants you wealthy, the idea that if you do it God's way, everything will go well. That's not true. That's, that's not what is in the scripture. We have an incredible story in the book of Genesis about Joseph. Joseph was a godly man. 
Not perfect, but he was a godly man. Remember that when he was sold as a slave, he was purchased by Potiphar. And Potiphar um, used him as a slave. And he realized that uh, um, Joseph had incredible talents and gifts, administrative gifts. And so, so as the story goes, Joseph began to run this man's business. He ran his farm. He ran his export and import businesses that he had. He did all of those things. And, and then he began to run the household. He was like, he was the CEO, basically, of this. Potiphar could just go do whatever he wanted because Joseph was handling everything administratively and financially for him. So Joseph was experiencing incredible success. Well, we don't know why this took place, but Potiphar's wife basically took a liking to Joseph. And so she wanted, she wanted to have a physical relationship with Joseph. And she kind of set some things up. And he recognized what was going on. And God had provided a way of escape. It was called running. And so he ran. So he honored God in what he did. And what happened? He was falsely accused of attempted rape. There was no trial. He was immediately put into prison. He was going to be there for the rest of his life. The reason why I'm telling you that is because we sometimes imagine that if we are successful at resisting, let's say, some big temptation, that God owes us a reward. Now, God, God can reward you, absolutely. And I believe that God blesses us in, in incredible ways. But that it, there's no guarantee it's always going to be that way. And it's definitely never a guarantee that things may not go awry. We seek to honor God, but there's, remember, there's a whole lot more going on than just that one little incident. And we know from when you, when you look, when you take a step back from Joseph's life and look at all that went on, all these things that were happening to Joseph was preparing his character for how God was going to use him in the future. Because Joseph was going to be an incredibly powerful man. And he, he needed to be humble. He, he needed to, to uh, go through, really, the school of hard knocks to be shaped by God so that he could handle the power that he was going to be given years later. And so you may resist temptation and still be falsely accused of something. You may successfully resist temptation and, and someone may still become angry with you. you. You may resist temptation and things may still go wrongly for you for weeks and months. That doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It does not mean that. This verse is still true. God is still honored. God is still glorified. We are going to be rewarded by God in the future. That's going to happen because God has promised it. But we want to make sure that we're thinking through these things correctly. God desires, Paul desires that these believers pursue, it's the word that we've used before, righteousness. We're dressed in the righteousness of Christ, but there's also a demand that we live in righteousness that we portray righteousness, that we pursue righteousness. Not so that people can look at our righteousness, but so that we can put the righteousness of Christ on display. The only, the only, remember that the only way we can do that is, is to be forgiven of our sin. Remember, that's true for all of us. All of us need to be transformed, if not even more than Joseph did. And that transformation comes when our hearts are changed by God. So that when we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we recognize that we are these filthy, depraved sinners who are living in rebellion to God like everybody else. That we need salvation. 
I need to be saved from my sin. I need to be saved from myself. I need to be saved from many things, all of it evil. I need to be saved from my rebellion. And so when God saves me, when I place my faith and trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I then become a new person. And at that moment, the Spirit of God begins to live in me on a permanent basis. And the Spirit of God be, takes up an, an active residence in my life. And what I also receive is this activity of God in my life from this moment forward. So again, you may be in sixth grade. Sixth graders commit sin. Sixth graders can be arrogant, they can be mean, they can bully, they can lie, they can cheat. But if they're a believer in Jesus Christ, I don't have to. They, they may be tempted because of what we call peer pressure. We can have a long discussion about that. I'm not so sure that's actually a real thing, but you know, that's, we'll, we'll just pretend that it is for now. But there is a pressure that does come when, when, when we place too high of a value on what others think about us. But that's never a justifying reason to sin. It's never a justifying reason to join the crowd on picking on someone else or whatever the case may happen to be. So sixth grade or high school or college, it, loneliness is never the excuse for a single to go and have physical relations with an individual. It's just not. We can feel bad for them. We can say that must be very difficult, but does, is God faithful? Yes, he is. God is faithful and God has promised no matter how lonely you are, you'll never be tempted beyond your ability to resist. And God is always going to provide that way of escape. That doesn't mean that the next day you won't still be lonely. You might even feel it worse, but God will never abandon you. So this passage, I believe, is one that can and should transform the way we live and the way that we think about our lives about the way that we are dealing with temptation that comes our ways. That, that, that it shapes and changes the way we think about God himself. So that when we pray, it, it's, it's not like we have to introduce ourselves to, to God because we're someone new. He's, he intimately knows who you are and who I are and who I are, who I am. And so when we pray, we're, we're talking to our Father, the one who knows us intimately. And when that temptation comes and it's strong, you can just tell him. Remember, you'll never tell God something that he doesn't already know. So when you say, God, this is really hard. Yeah, he knows that. But you can tell him that. God, I, I want to give in. I want to I get so-and-so. Lord, I'm, I'm angry about this. And, and I'm imagining what I would do or say to this individual. And I know it's sinful. And I need your help not to give in. He'll give you the help. He's, he'll provide you that way of escape. When you, when you do sin and, and you want to blame others, you can begin your prayer by saying, Lord, I know you know my heart and you know I want to blame others for this, but man, I got nobody to blame. It just reveals the darkness of where I am. I believe when we can pray honestly like that, that's, that's theologically correct, that the help of God will be so much better because he, he doesn't have to deal with us coming to terms with who we really are. We're there. And I say, Lord, I, I, thought, I thought I was farther along than this. 
And I know I'm really disappointed in myself and I know you're more so disappointed in me. And I know you promised me that I didn't have to give in. And I felt like I had to, but I know from your word I didn't. And that just makes this worse. But it also makes our understanding of his forgiveness that much better. Because he knows that. And he doesn't say, well, you know what? Yeah, you did know better. No forgiveness today. He'll never do that. That is so great. So I would encourage you as a Christian to take verse 13. Whether it takes you two weeks or three months, work on memorizing this verse. I'm going to read this verse to you in the Amplified. As you know, that's one of those translations I like to use because of how it amplifies. And there are certain passages as one of them that I believe it's extremely helpful. So with all that we've said, now listen to these words. For no temptation, no trial regarded as enticing to sin, no matter how it comes or where it leads, has overtaken you and laid hold on you that is not common to man. That is, no temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance and that is not adjusted and adapted and belonging to human experience as such as man can bear. But God is faithful, faithful to his word, to his compassionate nature, and he can be trusted not to let you be tempted and tried and, ass and assayed, assuaged beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure. But with the temptation, he will always also provide the way out, the means of escape to a landing place, that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently. God is fantastic. God is great. And God is sovereignly active in your life and in my life as a believer every day. If you don't know Christ, then that's not true. If you don't know Christ, all temptation will be beyond your ability to resist. You may resist individual things here and there, you're gonna give in. And you're gonna mess your life up. Now you may not mess it up for all of eternity, you may not mess it up for the next 10 years, but your next day or next week are gonna be miserable. And it may affect you for a year to come or 10 years to come. You are gonna experience much greater guilt and depression and anxiety and all the rest that come with it because you continue to live in rebellion to God. And you've gotta to come to terms with that. Now, this may not sound like, like this is fun because we're rebels at heart, but to know that a loving father is sovereignly active in your life is awesome. It, it's incredible. And it's something that we really, we want this. We desperately want to have this. And the only way to get this is to place your trust in Christ. Again, to acknowledge to him that, that yep, I am living in rebellion to God. I've sinned against him willingly and often. And apart from his forgiveness, I'm never gonna make it. I'm never gonna make it in this life and I'm never gonna make it in heaven. I'm never gonna have my sins forgiven. And I need Jesus Christ. He, he will forgive you. He will save you. It's, and your life will be brand new from that point forward. And as I mentioned, the spirit of God would then begin to take up residence in your life immediately. 
and the activity of God in your life. This sovereign kindness of God that Paul's talking about here begins immediately. And that is truly great joy for us to experience and possess. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your grace and your kindness and your sovereign rule in our lives. I know, Lord, that for the non-believing world, that sounds like we somehow been brainwashed to desire cosmic police in our life. But Father, we know that that's not what this is like. That you are truly a loving Father. You give to us great freedoms. But also, Lord, you are protective. You're not overprotective. You allow us, Father, in one sense, to go in any direction we choose. The options seem to be limitless. But Father, we are grateful for those of us who are believers that you are so active in our life that you are preventing us from being tempted beyond our ability to resist. But that, Father, then also means that when we sinned yesterday and the day before, it's all our fault. Yet, Father, in the book of Romans, it does say that for those who are believers, there is no condemnation. It's hard to grasp what, what that's really like except to say thank you. We pray you help us to become much more sensitive to sin. Help us to become much more attuned to temptation and the forms that it takes. But also help us, Father, to be much more cognizant of your daily presence in our life. Thank you, Lord. Father, we ask that you will never leave us alone and never leave us to ourselves. And we are grateful because when we read this verse, we see that you never will. What great comfort that gives to us. And we thank you. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.